0: Overwhelming three, uh, theme that I hear from our brother John is the Holy Spirit moving. I don't know about you, but I believe that the Holy Spirit is moving in this place. Amen? And it is exciting to hear that 65 people are come to know the faith and to be baptized, because they are what? receiving the gospel, and there are workers, faithful workers, sharing the gospel. And I believe that we have faithful workers and servants in UBC. And I want to hear that there's baptism going on in our church. Amen? Amen. Because all of you are reaching the people who don't know Jesus Christ and who are helpless looking for hope and answer, especially this hard and difficult time. And my challenge to you is that are you sharing your faith and the gospel with the neighbors and your coworkers and your family members that need to hear the gospel, amen? And so I want us to be in one page with God the Father. When Jesus Christ, remember his prayer, let them be one, as just as you and I are one, so that the world will know that they are my disciples I want to share with you, does the world know that UBC are the disciple of Christ because we are one? Amen? Are you falling asleep on me? Amen? Amen. Come on now, don't get exhausted now. It's not, that, it's not that late. And if you need some energy, ask the Holy Spirit to give you some energy. Amen? Amen. Holy Spirit, fill this place up. Give us more power. Give us more strength. Give us more energy. Give us more passion and fire for you, Jesus. You with me? Let the world know that we are his disciples because we are one. One heart, one mind, one soul, one body. We do things together, amen? Because the Holy Spirit guides us and leads us and tells us what to do, and we want to be obedient. And as we are obedient to the Holy Spirit, we're going to see baptism flourish. And we as UBC are gonna be the true salt and light of this community. Amen. You know, that's one of the reasons why I started this series called Reckless Love of God. And you see the the bulletin that was inserted last week, but we still got some on back in the table. Pass it out. To your neighbors or your coworkers or, your, or whoever, maybe even someone that you're standing in the a grocery line and you happen to have it in your purse and you take it out and say, By the way, our church is giving a, a series called Reckless Love of God. And the person's going to say, What is that reckless love of God? You know, and then you invite them and said, Hey, then you'll find out. Or keep it in your pocket or keep it in your wallet and share it out. The, so we're going to take this plane off and we're going to talk about relentless pursuit. Of God, you know, other religions, is all about pursuing God, isn't it? But our—we don't call it a rela- religion, but we call it a relationship—a relationship that God, the Father, the Creator, is pursuing us for intimate, loving relationship. It is not us that's pursuing Him, but it is Him, Great Almighty God Almighty, Your Creator of the heavens and the earth, pursuing you for intimate, loving relationship with you. Because he wants to spend rest of eternity with you. I don't know about you, but that excites me. That pumps me up that a loving father pursues an intimate, loving relationship with me because he wants to spend rest of eternity with me. Man, I'm not. I didn't even start preaching yet, and I'm preaching already. But again, this, so, so second week, the next week, we're going to talk about the prodigal son. How many of you guys know the prodigal son or prodigal daughter? We've all been there. And third week, we're going to talk about the older brother. We're going to talk about his perspective. And then fourth week, we'll talk about fragrant offering. And the fifth week, there's five weeks in May, God's possession, and that is you and me. And so on then. Next month, if you want to hear about what's going to be coming up in next month, we're going to talk about to be the church. What does it mean to be the church? So let's pray, and then we're we'll going to our message this morning. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness. We thank you for your relentless pursuit of us. You don't give up because you love us. Even though we turn away from you, even though we drift away from you, even though at times we're disobedient and rebellious, that do doesn't stop you. You pursue us because you love us and that you want to spend the rest of eternity with us. So, Father, thank you. Jesus, we thank you that you sacrificed yourself. You gave yourself up for us in order that we may have purity, that in order we may be pure in God's eyes, that all of our sins have been removed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So we thank you, Jesus. And now I pray that you bless this message for your honor and glory. Now the meditation of my heart and the words that are spoken through this servant may be pleasing to you. In the holy name of Christ. We pray, amen. When we hear the word reckless, immediately what comes into our mind is someone who is irresponsible and someone who is rash or thoughtless. The dictionary defines the term reckless in this way, utterly unconcerned about the consequences of some action without caution, and careless. Given the term that has a negative connotation, does it make sense for us to connect this word reckless to God? By theory, you would say it doesn't make sense because God is responsible. God is not careless. God is a God of order. To that question, does it make sense to this connotation, negative connotation? in God, is it is it make sense for us to do that? And to that question, I say yes. And the reason why I say yes is this: Hear me now. Is because God does not care about consequences. Nor is He cautious. The reason why he doesn't care about the consequences or is he being cautious because he cares about you and me. He cares about us. That is the only thing that he cares about. He doesn't care if there's negative consequences for his actions. If Jesus did, he would not have gone to the cross because the consequences was he went to the cross and he was humiliated, he was beaten, and he was murdered, and he was ex- executed. He didn't care about the consequences. And I don't know about you, but to me to, sh- to, sh- to me, to see that Jesus Christ going on the cross, humiliated, being ridiculed, being spit at, being bitten, being stripped of his clothes, and yet he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And that's the kind of God that you have. Knowing that can you and I just sit around knowing what Jesus Christ has done for us. And I call that reckless. And I call that reckless of love of God because he desires an intimate, loving relationship with you and and me. Because he wants to spend the rest of eternity with us. That's all he cares about. He doesn't care about anything else. The number one priority for God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is you. No one, nothing else. And I believe that the God the Father he sent me here this morning to let you know and to tell you that how much He loves you. If you've forgot it, Jesus is telling you now. When we look at the Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, what we see in the four Gospels is that how much that God loves us and that Jesus spent a lot of time spending time teaching the Word of God. It doesn't matter who, but he especially spent a lot of time with the socially outcasts. Why? Because they felt neglected, they were the outcasts, but Jesus says, though that the culture and the society of the world rejected you, I will not reject you. And that is why Jesus spent a lot of time teaching, a lot of times feeding, healing, serving the outcasts. And he got criticized for that. You hear me? He got criticized big time because he spent time with the socially outcast people. This morning, as we listen in and hear the teaching of Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10, and that is our text this morning, we will discover through this beautiful story the relentless love of God, relentless pursuit of God. And what brings joy to God? Do you want to find out what brings joy to God? Well, you're in the right place this morning. Amen? So turn with me to your Bibles, Luke chapter 15, verses, 1, chapter 15, beginning of chapter, of uh, verse one. And this is what Luke writes. He says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear who? Jesus. The Greek word for gathering around is endizo meaning to make near or to come near. So in other words, the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near or they were coming near to who? Jesus Christ, because they want to hear Jesus Christ's teaching. In every situation, you have to know this, in every given situation, for Jesus, it was a teaching moment. So as the crowd came near, he taught them. Now, from our perspective listening in, this is a great thing that Jesus is doing. There's nothing wrong with that. It's great. It shows the heart of Jesus that he's taking the time out of his busy schedule to teach the tax collectors, to teach the sinners. We see the heart of Jesus here. Now, Luke describes the crowd that was coming near to him. Notice again, it was the tax collectors and sinners. But this was a big problem at that time. And the reason why it was a big, big problem at the time, these tax collectors and sinners were hated and despised. For example, the tax collectors were hated by their fellow Jews because most tax collectors were Jews who gave up their Jewish tradition for a profit. They went on to purchase the franchise from Rome. It's sort of like franchise of McDonald's or Burger King or something, right? But for Rome, it was the tax collector. That was the franchise. And these, tax, these Jews who had, they were wealthy already, they purchased into the franchise of tax collection. And after they purchased the rights of collecting the tax, they, picked, they taxed people big time. Especially their fellow Jews. Oh, I see what you're carrying. Okay, I'm going to tax that. So they have particular tax stations. So if you got a load and you need to pass on their station, they can have the right by the permission of Rome because they purchased this, uh, their right and they said, okay, you got this, you got this, and you got this. That's going to cost you $10. That's going to cost you $20. And then lo and behold, in the end, it's going to easily come out to be $500. And because they've been given the, the right to do so by Rome, if you are passing through, you have to pay. So you could imagine they didn't like tax collectors, especially their fellow Jews, because they gave up and sold their birthright for profit. Now, as for the sinners, they were immoral according to the religious leaders. Religious leaders, I'm going to be using that term to kind of shorten uh, what I'm going to say for the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. So when I'm talking about religious leaders, I'm referring to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. So the religious leaders at that time, they didn't like the sinners because they did not follow God's law. But instead of not liking them or instead of, not spending time with them, because they're religious leaders, what they should have done was that, okay, you're sinners, you're not obeying the law, so therefore I'm going to teach you, I'm going to disciple you. That would be the natural thing to do as religious leaders. But on the contrary, these religious leaders did not do that and said, get away from me, you sinners. So then, number one, they didn't like the tax collectors. Number two, they didn't like the sinners. Listen to what Jesus says about them, specifically to the religious leaders. In Matthew 23, 23, he says this, woe to you. It's sort of like Jesus saying, if he contemporizes, he would say, shame on you. He says, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, and he calls them what? You hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spice, mint, deal and come in, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law. And what is that important matter? He he lines it specifically. Number one, it is justice. The Greek defines justice in this way. Making a decision or making a judgment. He says, you neglect this. And he says, second, you neglect mercy. The Greek specifically is compassion. And third is faithfulness. Uh, in other words, in Greek, is faith. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. He's basically t- about teaching about, okay, one thing that you are doing right is that you are giving your tenth, your, your, your tithing. That's good but you're missing out the most important thing. That is, making a right judgment, rather you're making a wrong judgment because you are staying away from tax collectors and sinners. That's what you're failing to do. So what Jesus called the Pharisees and the teacher of the law hypocrites, they lack true judgment and neglecting to show compassion and mercy to the people that needs mercy and compassion. The Greek, the Greek word for hypocrites is "hopreitas," meaning actor and pretender. So Jesus is looking the Pharisees out teachers of the laws. And the Pharisee is right in the eye, and he says, stop pretending to be religious when you're not. Ouch. When Jesus Christ looks at my life, and Jesus Christ looks at your life, would he look into your eyes, or would he look into my eyes and say, Nick, stop pretending to be religious? Or would he say that to you when he looks into your eyes and say, stop pretending to be religious? Because you lack judgment, you lack compassion, you lack mercy, and you lack faith. So is that something for us to evaluate and do an inventory of our spiritual life? Beginning with me. What would Jesus see when he looks at my eyes? They say you could tell a lot of person by their eyes. I know my eyes are small. You can't really see my eyes. (laughs) But you know what I'm talking about. So Jesus calls them, religious leaders, you hypocrites. Don't pretend. In the same chapter, Jesus says about them, they do not practice what they preach. They love the place of honor and banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. Does this sound familiar, guys? They, have, they love to be greeted with respect in their marketplace and to be called rabbi by others. If you were on the line Wednesday night on prayer meeting, I define what the Greek defines rabbi, right? My great one. They like to be called my great one. So Jesus is pointing out you love these things. But Jesus is in the opposite because he redefined the leadership. He said it's not about being recognized. It's not about having the best seats in the synagogues or in the church. It's not having about having the best robes or the best jewelry or the best hair. But he talks about, he redefines leadership, and he says, if you want to be great, what does he say? You've got to serve. And when Jesus taught that, you could imagine the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they didn't like that. that's why they don't like Jesus. Because he redefined what a true religion is. He redefined what true leadership is. And the Pharisees did not like it. Notice in verse 2, check this out. Luke said, but the Pharisees, right? And the teachers of the law muttered, why? He says, this man... Notice they didn't call rabbi or teacher like others do. But he said they said, This man, in other words, if I could kind of read into this line of what the Pharisees and the teachers of the law say, This man who has no right to teach, this man who has no right to lead is teaching and leading these people. I could read into those lines and knowing. How the Pharisees think, so they're saying this man Jesus welcomes sinners and eats with them. You see that? The fact that Jesus showed mercy and kindness and love bothered them. Big time. The Greek word for mutter, they continually complained. It was nonstop. The heart of Jesus was to seek and save the lost. Later in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus said this, from the Son of Man, for the Son of Man came to what? Seek and to save the lost. That's the reason why Jesus Christ came into this world. The theme of this chapter, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. That is the theme of this chapter. And throughout Luke's gospel, the theme is all about God's love and mercy for sinful human beings. So Jesus, knowing the heart of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who did not share the same type of love and mercy with him, he used this moment as a teaching moment and said to them, let me tell you a story to help you understand what I'm about and what God the Father is about. So I want you to listen very carefully, Sadducees and the teachers of the law. Notice in verses 3 and 4, this is what we we can listen in to Jesus' teaching now. Notice in 3 and 4, it says, Then Jesus told this parable. He looked them in the eyes. He looked them in the eyes and said this, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and lose one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until what? He finds it. Jesus begins by telling this amazing story of the love of God. Now, the shepherd in this story was well off. You have to see the context here. To have 100 sheep, that's a wealthy shepherd. And so if he loses one that he has 99, it's not going to break him because he's got deep pockets. So if he says, ah, oh, man, that's a hassle. I don't want to go for that one sheep that has been rebellious and that just went out of, out of the group. I'm going to focus on the group. I'm going to focus on the majority because the majority rules. And besides, that one sheep is not going to break me. But did the shepherd do that? He didn't. The shepherd went out to search his lost sheep, not because he was greedy, not because he was going to lose his prophet, but the reason why he went for that lost sheep because the sheep was going to be helpless, and he knew that that lost sheep is going to be some animal's dinner. And he cared enough to go out of his way, to leave the 99 shepherd sheep that was obedient, but to go out to that lost sheep that was Rebellious and disobedient and wander off. Now, you and I know that sheep are not very wise animals. They don't have instinct, survival instinct skills. And they don't know how to defend themselves when other predators or animal animals come to attack. In other words, they're very vulnerable and very weak. But it's interesting to note That Jesus refers us to sheep. And that He is the Good Shepherd. I'll be the first one to tell you when I'm alone, I'm vulnerable. And when I'm alone, I am weak. And Peter says what? The devil, the enemy is out there ready to devour. And he's looking for helpless sheep like you and me. But we have the great shepherd. We have the good shepherd. Amen? And that's what we're learning and that's what we're discovering here. The shepherd knowing the weakness and the vulnerability of the sheep, the shepherd pours all of his energy looking for his lost sheep. He thoroughly searches the valleys from the hilltops, calling out and seeking to find and look for that lost sheep. And the question that I have to ask you is, are you hearing the Jesus voice today? Are you hearing because perhaps you may be lost this morning. Perhaps you've been drifted away. Perhaps you've been drifted away from the fellowship of God. And Jesus is calling out your name. The search is relentless. He will not give up. And he will not rest until he finds it. We have an adorable dog, at least in me. In my perspective, the dog is adorable. His name is Max. He's four years old, so he's still got full of energy. And sometimes he would, if he gets an opportunity, he will run away so that he could exercise his, you know, his legs. And he wants to run around the block. Or run around the, the grass and stuff. And we're calling him. And sometimes I call him out really loud. Max, come over here. Get over here. And finally, when he comes back, what do I say? Bat boy. Bat boy, Max. Bat boy. But do you think that when the shepherd, his lost sheep, Bad sheep, you ran away. And because of you, I had to waste two hours of my time. I missed my dinner time. I missed my snack because of you. Bad sheep. Does he say that? No. Notice in verse 5, I love this. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. Joyfully puts it on his shoulders. Jesus tells the religious leaders, the shepherd joyfully puts it on his shoulders, describing tender love. This is what you ought to be doing, religious leaders, instead of criticizing me for spending time with the tax collectors and the sinners. Don't use your energy on these things. The lost sheep is more than just a sheep to him. He cares for it deeply and runs over to the sheep and says, are you okay? Cleans him up and then what? Carries the sheep. If I was him, if I found it, i put a collar and get the leash and drag him back. You know, drag him back. I would not put it on my shoulders. I already spent enough energy on doing that. But Jesus Christ is teaching us, I'm not like you, Nick. I'm the good shepherd. When I find a lost sinner, I don't drag him back or drag her back. I lift that sinner up and put it up on my shoulder, and I joyfully rejoice. And I tell other people to joyfully rejoice with me. That's the kind of God that we have. Amen? Notice in verse 6, he goes home and he says, Then he calls the friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. Wow. In this story, Jesus is the shepherd. You know that? And the sheep is what? Who? Me. I'll teach you another Korean word. Na. Say na. That means me. Okay? The sheep is me. And sheep is you. Brothers and sisters, the question I want to ask is this. How is your spiritual life today? How is your spiritual life today? I want you to really think about that. How am I doing spiritually? Is my spiritual well all dried up? Is it all dried up and I have nothing to give? Because I'm all dried up spiritually. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. You're fired for Jesus. Your fire for Jesus, has it turned out? Has it burned out? Your excitement and passion for Jesus Christ, has it turned to lukewarmness? Your love for God and for people, is it more a chore or is it because something you have to? How are you doing spiritually? And if you say yes to any of these questions that I have raised, then you need to go back to Jesus, and you need to remember what Jesus has done for you. Amen? Remember when he picked you up and put you on his shoulders. Remember when he cleaned your sin and made and called you righteous. Remember that you are no longer servants, but you are my friend. Remember what he has done for you. Remember that Jesus Christ went on the cross and shed his blood for you so you would have eternal heaven in kingdom of heaven. Remember that. And if you remember that how can you say that I am all dried up? How can you say that I How can you say that I am lukewarm? Remember what Jesus did for you. Remember the first encounter of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? UBC Saints, there is no room for laziness of faith in our church. Amen. There is no room for lukewarmness in this church. Amen. We are fired up for Jesus Christ. We are passionate for Jesus Christ. We love the Lord with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, with all of our minds, and with all of all that we have. And we love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Amen. That's who we are. Relentless pursuit of Jesus. Or perhaps some of you today don't know Jesus Christ. Some of you who have, are hesitant to put your faith in Jesus Christ, to believe in Jesus Christ. Well, I'm here to tell you, Jesus loves you and he died for you and he's waiting for you and he's pursuing a relationship with you. Remember 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. Peter said this, he himself, meaning Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Listen, everyone. If you have not accepted Jesus Christ, your wounds are healed by the blood of Jesus. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Only Christ can heal your wounds. No medical doctor. No psychiatrist. No counselor. Only Jesus can heal your wounds. Amen? Loved ones, the good news is Jesus Christ has a home waiting for us. Amen? And he has been preparing our home more than 2,000 years ago. Imagine how beautiful that home is. Man? He created this world in how many days? Seven. Seven compared to 2,000 years? Come on now. And you guys are saying, wow, this world is beautiful. Wow, look at the mountains and the ocean. It took God what? One day just can't happen. You and I have a destiny because of what Jesus Christ has done. And he has a way, he has a home, and he wants to carry us to that beautiful home that he's been preparing for us more than 2,000 years ago. And I can't wait to go there. But meanwhile, while we're here, we got to be faithful. Notice in verse 7, Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, he's looking at the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, I tell you, that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Are you willing to make a U-turn? That's what repentance means. And hes that's what he's challenging the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He's looking into their eyes and he says, you need to repent because you're headed in the wrong direction. And you, don't have, you think you have the heart of God, but you don't have the heart of God. You think you're obeying the law of God, but you're not obeying the love of God because you abandoned the tax collectors and you have abandoned the sinners and now you are criticizing me because I'm teaching the sinners. I'm teaching the tax teachers of the law, and that's what you should be doing. And you're not doing it. Have you noticed people who criticize the most? Are not doing anything? Have you heard? You know that that, right? They spend time in their mind coming up with criticism rather than really serving and teaching and doing the will of God. When I have people coming to me and say, they criticize all this, and I would say, you have a lot of time. When you have a lot of time to think about and come up with all this criticism and judgmental attitude, use that time for something else, productive, and help the body. I don't know if you want to hear me say this, but sometimes when people come up to me and say they criticize about all these things, and I would ask them, do you have a solution? And they said, no. Then I said, don't talk to me. I'm giving you a heads up. (laughs) I'm giving you heads up. There's only one road, Amen. That leads to Je- to the Father, and that is Jesus Christ. He says, "Enter the narrow way." This postmodern culture is that all leads, all roads leads to God, and that's a bunch of baloney. I could use another word, but I can't use that in the church. You know. Now, if I was prison, I could use it. But you don't know what I'm talking about, amen? That's what the world calls us narrow-minded, fundamental Christians. They call us bigots because we only say there's only one road. We didn't make that up. That's what Jesus said. There's only one road that leads to the Father. That's through me. When you make a U-turn, you welcome Jesus into your heart. The The heavens rejoice over you. How awesome is that? And the reason why I have to ask is, why does the heavens rejoice over a sinner who repents? It's because it brings transformation in people's lives. Because the people's mind and heart, they change. That's what the heavens rejoice. This past Friday, my old church member, a father, passed away. And so I went to the funeral service. And the church member the old church member got up and gave an eulogy about the father. He basically testified who his father was. He said his father was a very stubborn, hot-tempered man, unforgiving spirit. But when he accepted the Lord, the Lord transformed and changed him, and he was no longer stubborn. he was kind. And generous he was no longer unforgiving but he was forgiving he was no longer impatient but he was patient he was loving and understanding it transformed them, and that's why the heavens rejoice when they see a sinner transform because they have the heart like Jesus Christ amen and my brothers and sisters We want to have a heart like Jesus Christ. We want to be more forgiving. We want to be more patient. We want to be more loving. And as we do more of that, then the heavens rejoice as they look down at UBC. And God is saying, that's what I'm talking about. Jesus continues his story, and he shifts from a shepherd to a woman. Notice in verse 8, or suppose a woman... Has ten silver coins and loses one doesn't she light like the lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it now, unlike the shepherd, this woman is poor. she only has ten pieces of silver coin at that time. One coin is worth a one work of age wages. That's all she had. Ten. Therefore, you could imagine, she searched the whole place, turned the whole place upside down, light up the lamp, looking for this one lost coin because she was desperate to find it because that coin was worth a lot to her. She valued it. The shepherd's story reveals God's compassion, whereas the woman's story here, reveals God values you and me. Do you see the imagery? Jesus is brilliant. He's an excellent communicator and teacher. He's teaching the Pharisees and the teachers of the law the compassion of God through this story. And secondly, he's teaching the Pharisees and the Sadducees, uh, uh, teachers and the law and the Pharisees, God values sinners. What you should be doing, teachers of the law and the Pharisees. My dear brothers and sisters, the big question is this. What about us? Are we like the religious of the law that day? That, that do we have compassion for the laws? Do we value them or do we just say, no. We ignore them just like the Pharisees all the teachers of the law. I hope and pray that we are not like them. Amen? Or do we just ignore them and pass them by? The reason why Jesus came into this world was as a suffering Savior was to seek and to save the lost. So Jesus brings up his point again. Notice in verse 9, he says, and when he finds it, excuse me, when she finds it, what does she do? She calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice in me. I have found my lost coin. When I was a freshman, uh, I was excited to go into the dorms, to be on my own, so to speak. And I went shopping, and I bought a bunch of new boxers. You know, because I needed boxers. Because I know that mom's not going to be there anymore to do the laundry. So I bought a lot of boxers so I would have enough. But eventually, all my boxers got dirty. So I had to go downstairs in the basement, put them in the washer, dry, you know, wash it. And then after you wash it, I have to put it in the dryer. So I put it in the dryer. I went upstairs back to my dorm. A couple hours later, I came back down. Went to the dryer, lo and behold, my boxers are gone. I'm like, oh, man, where did it go? You know, you have to understand, for a young man, you know, we need our boxers. We need our clean boxers, okay? So I'm like panicking, where's my clean boxers? So I'm going all over the place and, you know, searching, and, and you know, I check every dryer and machine washer. I can't find it. And I noticed this brown, it's behind of a garbage can. So I go behind the garbage can, and I said, could it be that this could be my boxers? So with anticipation, I opened up the brown bag very slowly, and I looked at it, and I said, whoa, praise God, it's my boxers. So I took it, put it back in the washer, make sure it's clean, okay, put it in the dryer, but I stayed this time. And I watched it carefully because I didn't want to lose my boxers again. I was happy because I got my boxers back. Have you ever lost something and you found it? How does that make you feel? You feel like jumping up and down and saying, yeah, I got, my, I got my boxers back. Or I got my thing, you know, whatever. Now multiply that a million times. How God the Father would feel, Jesus Christ would feel when you being lost, that you have been found. Just as how you rejoice, just as I am rejoicing, multiply that into infinity and beyond. That's how God the Father and Jesus Christ feels. And the angels. That's what Jesus Christ wants to communicate. And that's what Jesus wants to teach these religious of the law. He said, Don't complain about these sinners or tax collectors. Help them out. Help them out. And that's why he said to them, He looked them in the eyes and He says, The heavens rejoice when this one sinner, the tax collector or the sinner, the people that you despise, come to know the Lord. Do you see the context here? That's what Jesus is teaching them. He's brilliant. He brings it home. And I'm sure the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they're like, ouch, you know. And he's probably saying, man, this this man can preach and teach. I would have never thought of that. That's right, because you're not son of man. And at the same time, because you don't have the mind of God. If you did, you'd be doing what Jesus was doing, teaching them, loving them, and showing compassion. Notice in verse 10, in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Wow. In closing, all of us was once lost sinners. Amen? In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6, Isaiah said this, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Amen. Our loving Savior searched us out. He was relentless in his pursuit. And some will call it reckless. That's how much God loves you and me let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you reminded us this morning how much you love us. That you pursue a loving, intimate relationship with us. Father, if we are spiritually dry, remind us take us back to our first encounter with Jesus. Renew our passion. Renew our fire. Renew our excitement for you. Help us not to be lukewarm, but help us to be fired up for you. Thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray.